This faith-affirming podcast is a production of Latter-day Radio for the enlightenment and illumination of its audience. Originally broadcast on KLO Radio in Salt Lake City, Utah. For more information, visit latterdayradio.com. Welcome back here to Latter-day Radio on 1430 KLO World Class Talk. Broadcasting from the intersection of faith and freedom. And we have a guest with us today. His name is Dr. Randall Chase. He's former department head of communications at Dixie University. Is it Dixie State University? That's right. Dixie State University in St. George. And boy, is it hot here today. Speaking of hot, Randall has written a number of books about the end of the world. And so I guess my first question to you, uh, Dr. Chase, is uh, can we expect the apocalypse anytime soon? Uh, I don't think anytime soon, but it will definitely come. And so do you have a little calendar? Do you have some dates on there? Do you know the exact date? No. But Nobody does. Nobody does. And if they do, you know that someone's trying to sell you some... some uh, uh, swamp gas or That's right. Brooklyn Bridge or something. That's right. So, um, quick question uh, that we hope will turn into a long answer. Is the apocalypse always a bad thing? No, it's not. Not for the righteous. Well, tell us <clears throat> about your book. You wrote uh, a book about, oh, is it called Apocalypse Now? No, that was a movie. It's called Apocalypse, The Great Day of the Lord for the Righteous. And uh, its focus is on the positive side of the apocalypse. For the wicked, it will be a horrendous day with much destruction and death. And uh, I didn't want to dwell on that because I do not think that the righteous will experience that. The Lord has promised that for the righteous, it will be a day of great joy. And that's the focus of the book. So I would think that right now we're expensing, uh, we are experiencing the, the bad side of the pre-apocalyptic uh, era. And the good side. Okay. So uh, let's fill in the details here. Uh, what are some things that, if we're righteous, we have uh, to look forward to? Well, the apocalypse will occur when the Lord returns for the second time. And... Uh, on that day, there will be great destruction around the world. But for the righteous, there will be a number of beautiful things because that will signal the beginning of the millennium. And for the righteous, that will mean the entering into a thousand-year period where there will be no death, no sickness, no sorrow, um, no hatred, no war. Uh, it will be entering into a blissful period of time for ourselves and for the earth. And I think that the righteous should be looking forward to that. Uh, a number of things will occur on that day. The, maybe the most significant in my mind is the resurrection. The resurrection of the just will occur on the day that the Lord returns. So while the rest of the world is suffering and in sorrow and uh, in flames, the righteous will be rising from their graves and we will have our dead back again. That'll be a day of great joy. That would be something to witness and have your 
uh, iPhone handy. Yes. To, to post on Facebook. Yes. I'm in the cemetery, and uh, <laughs> you need to see what I just saw. Yeah, I've just got my father back or whatever. Right. Um, imagine the joy that we'll feel when that happens. Uh, I have a little grandson who died uh, 20 minutes after birth. Oh, my gosh. And as I understand the doctrine, little children who die will be resurrected as little children. And then they will have the privilege of uh, growing their bodies to mature say, status, just like the rest of us have. And their parents, of course, will raise them and teach them. Under the tutelage of righteous parents. Right. Uh, you know, imagine when a child would have no opposition of wickedness whatsoever but would be being raised in a millennial world. Um, that will be a special thing to see a little child uh, mm. resurrected and then growing and to his adult stage. And staying innocent throughout that, yeah. that adolescent time period. That's right. Um, so those will be, and there are other wonderful things, but those are some of the first that come to my mind. And I think that for the righteous, we should be concentrating on that and not all the gloom and doom and destruction, which will really have nothing to do with us. Uh, if we're righteous, it, help, it won't affect us, is what you're saying. That's the promise, that we will be, um, the Lord will protect us from the destruction. If we are righteous, if we're following the prophet, if we're keeping our covenants, that we make, especially those we make in the temple, we have every expectation that we will survive that day and not only survive it, but thrive in it. And then comes a period of great learning and illumination. Correct. For a thousand years with the Lord on the earth as our king. And as our president and as our executive. Right. You know, we all those things. We watch General Conference today and we have our prophet and we revere him and we are grateful that he's there to lead us. But imagine when that would be the Lord and the Lord would everybody be speaking. Would, everybody would tune in on that particular day. I believe they would. Yeah. In case you just joined us, you're listening to Latter day Radio here on 1430 KLO. World Class Talk, and Dr. Randall Chase of St. George and Dixie State University is our guest. He is also an author and publisher, the author of some 40 books that he's published. Why don't you give us a quick elevator pitch, uh, uh, a rundown of what you've published and where you keep all these books in your in your bookcase at home? Well, the, the main uh, project when I started was to produce three books for each of the main gospel doctrine topics. Okay. So the first three books were on the Book of Mormon. Then I did three books on church history. Then I did three books on the Old Testament, and then I did three books on the New Testament, and then one book on the Pearl of Great Price. So other than that, you haven't done much? No. They're, <laughs> they're all about 350 pages, some of them bigger than that. And they are study guides. And how long did this take you? What? Years. Years. You know, the preparation for it has taken me uh, 38 years, roughly. Uh, I've been a gospel doctrine teacher. I have been studying the gospel with some intensity for a long time. And uh, then I, I got an offer from a publisher to start writing these books, which I took the publisher up on and began my Book of Mormon series. 
But over time, I found it advantageous to not use a publisher, but to start my own publishing company, which is called Plain and Precious Publishing. And, and there's a, a dot com associated with that? A, yes. It's a website. Our website, website is ldsgospelsource.com. And if you go there, you'll see all of the study guides and materials that I have because in addition to the books, uh, I have uh, all kinds of materials there. I teach a, a adult education class on Wednesday nights for BYU uh, continuing education, and um, the lessons that I prepared for that are all online, okay. and people can get them. I also have have uh, compiled a handout packet of about 60 pages for each one of the lessons in each of the topics. So that's a massive amount of information right so, there. Sounds like a cheat sheet for gospel doctrine teachers. It is. And uh, the PowerPoints that I use are on there. Uh, and I also record my lectures, and they're on there. Now, all of those are available, and those are based on CES or Institute lessons oh, okay. and stuff. Not, ne- not the Sunday school manuals. No, the, but I do have material also for gospel doctrine. So the Gospel Doctrine uh, people can subscribe to my newsletters. They're free, and uh, they will get a uh, – once a week, they'll get an article about the upcoming Gospel Doctrine lesson, which shares with them a lot of thoughts and ideas about it. And then also, if they wish, they can get a, a post every day that consists of one scripture from the Gospel Doctrine lesson – and along with that, a quote from a general authority, and that will arrive in their mailbox every morning. So I've provided a lot of stuff for gospel doctrine people also, and uh, most of that is free. So uh, there's just tons of stuff on there so that people can use. So if you're a gospel doctrine teacher, Dr. Chase has done all your work for you. All you've got to do is push a button and take it to church on Sunday. Uh, pretty almost, much. Almost. Pretty much. <laughs> I would advise you to follow your lesson manual. <laughs> But my comments and my articles and stuff also follow the lesson manual, so it's not going to be leading you astray or getting into false doctrine. Okay. And you have also a Facebook page that people follow you who are gospel doctrine teachers. And Yes, it's called LDS Gospel Doctrine Daily. And... Uh, it, it, dot com or just, it's just a Facebook group. A Facebook group. And how do you join this Facebook group? You go to Facebook. You find LDS Gospel Doctrine Daily. Uh, you can request to join the group. Mm-hmm. If you look like a legitimate person, we'll let you into the group. We currently have 40,000 subscribers. And these are all people teaching gospel doctrine or studying the gospel who are sharing ideas with each other all the time. Oh, so they can post things and say, you know what, King Hezekiah, he wasn't really as good as everybody, but yeah. of course he was, Hezekiah's tunnel. Yeah. And I, uh, given, uh, you probably know by uh, by now that this is pre-recorded. So uh, <laughs> next Sunday, I've been told, and in fact, yesterday I interviewed Dr. Uh, Christine Fredrickson. And who you probably heard from last week, mm-hmm. but of course uh, this is pre-recorded. And this coming Sunday is the Hezekiah story, and he has a marvelous story. I always love the story of Hezekiah. Yeah, it's a great one.
turned around the, uh, the uh, kings of Israel after a whole bunch of bad kings and Hezekiah? Yeah, it was actually the kings of Judah, not the kings of Israel. Israel okay, that's what I, I was... Israel, the northern yeah, yeah. kingdom, the never... The northern kingdom... Never they, had a good king. They never did. Uh, they never did repent. Nope. But the southern kingdom had a few good kings, and Hezekiah was one of them. So we're coming close to the end of this particular segment, but we're going to come back in a minute. Uh, tell us uh, very briefly what we're going to talk about through the rest of the hour today. Well, um, the the other uh, three. These are the smaller books that I've written. And we've been talking about the book on the apocalypse. Uh, I understand that we're going to talk about my book on Zion. Okay. And also my book on understanding Isaiah. If anybody can understand Isaiah, I, I, I certainly want to be part of that club. We'll be back after these messages here on Latter-day Radio, 1430 KLO. This podcast has been produced by Latter-day Radio. Visit latterdayradio.com for more information. We're not done yet. More faith-affirming podcast content on its way. Stay with us. The following podcast was produced by Latter-day Radio, originally broadcast on KLO in Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Latter-day Radio. We're back here on Latter-day Radio. I'm Greg Gerard. We're broadcasting from the intersection of faith and freedom. And our guest today is Dr. Randall Chase, former department head of communications, publisher, author, down here in St. George, and it's hot today. Yes, it is. But it could be hot for a lot of people come the apocalypse, but not necessarily for the righteous. That's what you told us last hour. Well, and I think the thing for the righteous is to not get discouraged part of the reason I wrote the book is because there does seem to be a lot of sorrow and fear and discouragement in the world. Bad news. And I believe the Latter-day Saints are getting caught up in that, as are other righteous people. Uh, And there's no need, because for the righteous, it will not be a day of destruction, but a day of great joy that we should be looking forward to with all our hearts. And preparing for? Preparing for, yes. We have to be righteous. We can't be making compromises on our values. We have to be devoted to keeping our promises and covenants with the Lord and also living the very best life that we can. Uh, Those are the people who will enjoy the positive side of the apocalypse. You know, one of my favorite chapters in all of Holy Writ is First Nephi chapter 8, Lehi's dream, yes. the vision. And I see more and more people uh, stumbling and getting off, uh, as President Nelson calls it, the covenant path. They look around, they see the people in the large and spacious building jeering at them, the, even those who partake of the fruit at the, uh, uh, at the, at the tree feel ashamed afterwards. 
And I would think that's one of the problems we have in the church today is people who have been brought up in righteous homes, have been taught correct principles, and all of a sudden the world and all of its uh, temptations, all of the bad news, all the bad things that happens to people makes people think, well, you know, yeah, the fruit tastes good, but the world's so bad there's just no hope for me. For whatever reason, they wander off the path and get lost in dark places. Yeah, that's true. And we have been counseled I don't know how many times over the decades to follow the prophet. And these people who reject the church are rejecting the prophet. And maybe they don't like what he's teaching. Maybe it doesn't comport with their social views or their political views. And so they prefer the views of the world to the words of the prophet. We have a number of people, I'm sorry to say, in the church today who are caught up in groups that believe that they need to go up into the mountains and store food and live in cabins in preparation for the apocalypse that's coming. And that is not the answer. And the leaders of that movement have gone so far now to say, don't tell your church leaders that you're part of our group Hmm. and don't follow the prophet. Now, that is an apostasy movement. That's all it is. And uh, we should not be caught up in that. Listen to the prophets. Do what they counsel us to do. And don't do any more or any less than that. And then we'll be okay. And love your neighbor and love the Lord. That's part of it. Yeah. You've written some other books, too. Yes. We can continue talking about the apocalypse, or we can talk about Zion. Which Let's talk about Zion. Okay. I have a book called Establishing Zion, Preparing the Earth for the Return of Jesus Christ. First thing you have to understand about Zion is that every time the Lord has called a dispensational prophet, whether it be Enoch or Moses or Nephi, any time he's had a dispensational prophet, he has tried to establish a Zion people because a Zion people live the gospel with such completeness that the Lord himself can dwell among them. And sometimes he literally has to take them off the earth because of the wickedness of the earth. Um, and that's what happened, with, for example, with Enoch's people. Mm-hmm. It happened also with Melchizedek's people. His people were also translated off the earth. But uh, Moses' people, he offered them Zion, and they rejected it by their wickedness. And the Nephites, for 200 years, they were Absolute they were trying their best and then stumbled and, and, and yeah. fell off the path. That's right. And in our latter day, when Joseph Smith restored the gospel to the earth, he tried to get the people to become a Zion people. And he pointed out where ultimately the new Jerusalem would be, And he sent some saints out there to live, to start buying up property and so on. But they were absolutely unworthy of Zion by the way they were behaving. There was adultery. There was arguing between them. There was very uh, inappropriate things that they said to their neighbors, the non-Mormon people in the area. And as a result of that, they lost Zion. For that time. For that time. And... uh, The Lord, uh, when he comes, will only come when we are a Zion people. So we think we're waiting for the Lord. That's not true. He's waiting for us? He is. Really? Waiting for us to establish Zion. And when we do, 
he will come. Now, if you look at the comments of President Nelson in the past general conference, on his final talk at the end, right at the end of that talk, he makes that point, that we must become a Zion people, and the sooner we do that, the sooner he'll come. In case you just joined us, this is Latter-day Radio. I'm Greg Gerard. Dr. Randall Chase is with us from Dixie State University talking about his books that he's published, and particular, uh, uh, particularly uh, a book on Zion. Tell us again the title. Establishing Zion, Preparing the Earth for the Return of Jesus Christ. And where can people get this if they want to read it? Uh, they can get it at Deseret Book. They can also get it at Amazon, at Google. They can get it at uh, uh, Ingram Publishing Online. Um, Apple has the downloadable versions. So we're talking an ebook. Yeah, I have so, every Apple every e-book. book I've written is also available in ebook. Oh, okay. both Kindle and EPUB versions. Okay, fantastic. So, what else uh, can you give us a, a little trailer? about the yeah. book so that we can all excited and find out what we should look for in there? Well, it talks about how the previous attempts at Zion failed. And why. And why. And then it comes to what we must do to establish Zion in our own day. And there are a number of things that we must do. Um, I believe that the move that the brethren made in this previous conference was nothing less than an invitation for us to become a Zion people. For example, getting rid of a home and visiting teaching where we are going out uh, by assignment because we have to. No, because we want to or because we love people. Right. Instead, it is learning to love people unconditionally and because we want to. The brethren have... This is an invitation for us to become a Zion people if we can see that And if we can follow that, we will hasten the day of the Lord's coming. I absolutely believe that this is the beginning of establishing Zion among the Latter-day Saints. And uh, as we listen to the prophet, follow his counsel, we're going to be led to that state where the Lord will be pleased to come and, and live among us again. Well, certainly that's something we're all looking forward to. But don't we have to start building Zion Right in our own homes, in our own hearts. Well, yes, and that certainly is true in terms of loving each other. There are other aspects to Zion, such as the law of consecration, and that's not something that will be forced on anyone. If I don't want to give my surplus to the Lord so that others may be blessed, I'm probably not a Zion person. Uh, We cannot continue to be the half-committed and not-serious Uh, supporters of the poor. It is essential for us to be engaged in in loving everyone. And we're doing this not only among the Latter-day Saints, but all over the world. Our church is one of the largest groups now involved in humanitarian work because that's expected of us as a Zion people. Larger than our size. Uh, Larger than our size, for sure. And when President Nelson and others say, you know, you seniors... We sure need more of you out in the mission field. Right. That's that's what we're talking about, isn't it? It is. We're trying to build Zion. And if you have a people who have a testimony who have joined the church, but they don't know how to run a relief society or a priesthood quorum, 
They have no experience whatsoever with all of the intricacies of primary in young women and young men. We need seniors to go out there and shepherd them, help them to learn how to be Latter-day Saints. And we, they're, they're joining the church in such large numbers, and especially in Africa That's right. and South America, that um, we just need to get out there and help. The strength of the church is still in Utah, and the people in Utah in particular could do this work if they're willing to do this work. But we're going to have to be willing to leave our dogs behind and grandkids and our grandkids for a as while. Much as we love them. That's right. Um, and I think uh, that's all part of building Zion. Now remember, for those of us that have been to the temple, we have made sacred covenants to establish Zion. It's now time for us to do that. And what does the scripture say? And this is Zion. They're one heart and one mind, and there's no no poor among them. Right. There's another scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants that defines Zion as every man looking after the interests of his neighbor. That's all President Nelson is asking us to do now with this new program. Without an assignment. Without an assignment. Be agents unto ourselves. Go about doing good. That's what, that was the description they gave of Christ. And he went about doing good and gave no heed to temptation. Right. That's sort of the key, isn't it? It is. So where do we go from here? Well, I think we just, uh, as I said earlier, I think we just need to follow the prophet and not get ahead of ourselves and not lag behind. Just let them lead. Let them tell us what is needed and expected, and then do that. I fully expect that he, the, our new prophet, President Nelson, is going to lead us further and further and further along into becoming a Zion people. And it's kind of an exciting, exciting time for the church. Well, I remember something that was said at conference about being meek. And meekness is different than different than humility in some yes. interesting fashion. It's not to let what you just said, let yourself get a get ahead of the curve. It's just kindly accept that assignment to go clean the chapel on Saturday morning. Right. And not even in the smallest bit be resentful or rebellious. Well, we're coming to the end of this can of this particular segment here on uh, Latter-day Radio. We'll be back after the break. This faith-affirming podcast is a production of Latter-day Radio for the enlightenment and illumination of its audience. Originally broadcast on KLO Radio in Salt Lake City, Utah. More faith-affirming podcast content from Latter-day Radio coming your way. Stick around.
We're back here in Latter-day Radio for our final segment with Dr. Randall Chase of Dixie State University, publisher, author, and expert on a whole lot of things Mormon. I know that there's a story, and I don't know whether this is true or not, Randall, but maybe you can tell me if this is a one of those church myths or legends. But on the on uh, June 27, 1844, the story is told that uh, after the uh, martyrdom of Joseph and Hiram, that a bullet came through and struck Willard Richards. And what we tell people is that it hit his pocket watch, saved his life. But I've also been told that it went through his pocket into a copy of Book of Mormon he had in his, in his pocket, in his vest, and went through, and the bullet stopped right in Second Nephi, where all the Isaiah quotations begin. Now, you have an answer to that. Would you? It's not true. Okay. But what about people who get stopped in the Book of Mormon in Second Nephi, where Isaiah begins? Well, you know, um, if we understand the importance of Isaiah, we will not stop there. Okay. But we may get discouraged if we don't know how to read it. You know, the Lord actually commands us to study Isaiah. And uh, so we can't escape that without being in violation of a commandment of the Lord. When he came to the Nephites, he made that point. And so we have an obligation to try to understand. And, and the reason why is because Isaiah spoke of all things from the pre-mortal world to the end of the world. He prophesied with specificity a lot of things about our day. And if we don't read it or don't care about reading it, we're going to miss all that. And um, it really is uh, a testimony builder. But you have to pay the price in order to understand it and then really to start to love it. Now, as a missionary, we always uh, quoted Isaiah chapter 29 which is, uh, we believe, uh, prophetic verses about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. That's right. But that's just an inkling of uh, what uh, the Book of Isaiah offers from what you tell me. That's right. He, uh, I was just teaching my uh, adult religion class last Wednesday evening down here in St. George, and we happened to be on that part of Isaiah. And in that very same section... Uh, in addition to the Book of Mormon prophecy, there's a prophecy about the pioneers coming down into the valley. Oh, really? And how... I'm, I missed that part. Yeah, it's, I believe, I'm, I may be wrong about this, but I believe it's 35, Isaiah 35. But it talks about lifting up the hands that hang down. And it tells them to be of good courage. The Lord will protect them. And that's the place where it talks about... Uh, turning the, the desert into a, a, oh. a garden and streams in the desert, which, of course, is irrigation. And um, it's a very specific prophecy concerning the Latter-day Pioneers. Isaiah chapter 35. So yeah. Something to read when you're finished with the program today. Right. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, the thing about Isaiah is, let's talk about why it's so difficult. It's difficult for a number of reasons. The first one I'll mention is that it is written in poetry. Just like uh, Shakespeare wrote everything that he wrote in poetry, and that's what makes Shakespeare a little bit difficult to understand because he's, he's writing it in a writing style that's not narrative. It's not just storytelling. 
not always chronological either, right? Right. And the same thing is true of Isaiah. He is writing in uh, Hebrew poetry. Now, in, in their culture, poetry was not the rhyming of words, but the rhyming of thoughts. So when we write poems today, we want the last word to rhyme with the next word, or at least with the line mm-hmm. after that. In Hebrew, that's not how poetry worked. You would say something, and then you would say it again in a slightly different way. And that's the form of poetry. Kind of like chiasmus, which we're familiar with from the Book of Mormon. Yeah, chiasmus. That's, that's a form of poetry. It is, and it's mu- it's a much larger one because it it says like the first six verses will mirror the last six verses. Backwards. Backwards. Uh, that's chiasmus, but... The other thing is that uh, the other thing is that the poetry of the other verses has to do with um, um, learning to read the first line and then read the second line. And if you do, then you'll understand both of them. Um, so um, people, if they'll do that, if they'll take them a couple of lines at a time, they'll have a better understanding of it. That's the poetry part of it. Now, the other thing that makes it difficult to understand is that it comes from a time and a culture that is completely foreign to us. He uses a lot of uh, figures of speech. And we're foreign to him, which is probably why it was difficult for him to write it. He may have seen us and thought, what in the heck is an iPhone? Right. Or, right? Or a missile, which he referred to as fiery flying serpents because he had no way to describe it in his own language, in his own time. Flying, fiery serpents. serpents. An ICBM, in other yeah, words. Yeah, right. And he asked the question, who are these that fly as the birds? He saw the fact that we were flying through the air. Um, so anyway, he his culture is quite different. Now imagine that if I were saying to you or I were writing a letter to you and I said... Wow, I'm bushed. Now, you would know what that means, that Mm -hmm. I'm very, very tired. But imagine a hundred years from now, someone reading my letters in a different culture. They would have no idea what I'm talking about. They would translate it. And if they tried to take it, if they tried to take it literally, it would sound extraordinarily weird. You can't take Isaiah literally. Okay. If you just joined us, uh, this is Greg Gerard here with Dr. Randall Chase on Latter-day Radio, and we're talking about a hard-to-understand subject and author, Isaiah. But he's going to make it a little easier for us if you pay close attention. It does require effort. You, it's not a casual read. You must be devoted to the idea of taking it verse by verse, reading the poetry and understanding because he helps you, he says it one time, and then he says it again. And the two lines mean the same thing. And the second line helps you interpret the first line and vice versa. Then there's the figures of speech, which are entirely foreign to us. There's the translation, because his, his words were translated into the Greek and then into English, but it was 16th century English. 400-year-old English. Right. And now we're reading it in the 21st century it has gone through a lot of cultures along the way, and a lot of the things that are said are just hard to understand. 
So we have to look at the footnotes because they help us with some of that so that we understand what is meant by this term or that term. When he talks about, uh, for example, he's talking about the daughter of Zion and how she will become corrupt and she's walking and tinkling as she walks. And yeah, uh, and, and some of the stuff he, he talks about, uh, tires like the moon, for example. Mufflers. Um, mufflers and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, those are terms that were used in, in uh, 16th century English. And, and we don't know what they mean, but if you look in the footnotes, you find out what it means, and it makes a lot more sense. Now, if you're not willing to look at the footnotes, you're not going to get it. Another thing you have to do is use the maps section, because when he talks about a particular place, if you're not looking at the map, you'll have no idea what he's talking about. So you can see, you can't do this casually. You have to really use the resources. Now, we have one very great benefit as Latter-day Saints, and that is that some of Isaiah is explained by Nephi in the Book of Mormon. Some of Isaiah is explained by the prophet Joseph Smith in his writings. Some of Isaiah is explained in sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. So we have all of these resources to help us understand so, for example, Isaiah chapter 11 is talking about the prophet Joseph Smith, and you'd never know it by just reading that. But if you go to the Doctrine and Covenants, you find out that that's what it's talking about. So, um, again, we have all these resources, but we must use them. Now, I've written a book called Making Isaiah Plain, and in that I explain all of these things and give some helps, for example, on figures of speech, what this one means, what that one means. It is, of all the books I've published, which is nearly 40 of them, it is my bestseller because people are really wanting to understand Isaiah. And so this book uh, is, has been very popular in both English and Spanish. And you need a guide like that, either mine or one of the other ones, Abraham Gilead, he's written some books about he, Isaiah. He, yes, he has. And if you have those by your side while you're reading Isaiah, you'll have a better chance of understanding it. Now, once you get, understand it, once you start to understand it, we're in our third week, no, our fourth week of talking about Isaiah in my Wednesday night class. And this last Wednesday, I had students coming up saying, I'm finally getting it. And, okay, and, yeah. and, it's, and I'm enjoying it because I understand it. In fact, it's beautiful. The language is so beautiful because it's poetic. And uh, he doesn't just talk in prose. He talks in beautiful poetic terms. The 40 books or so that you've, you've written and published, I suppose these three you've talked about this hour are, are the ones that uh, are of most interest to you and have sold the most books. <laughs> They're my most recent ones. Why don't you give our listeners uh, a recap of what they are and, where, the, and where, where they can find them? Well, all of my books are available at Deseret Book. You can get them there. You can get them from Amazon. You can get them from Google. You can get them from uh, Ingram. Um, the downloadable versions are available also at Deseret Book and at Amazon and at Google and also on Ingram Spark. Uh, so there are lots of ways to get them. Um, 
Can you tell us the titles again so well, we're going to have a look for them? The main books, the ones that track uh, the, the four subjects, we have three books on the Book of Mormon, Church History, Old Testament, New Testament, they, and one book on the Pearl of Great Price. All of those are part of a series called Making Precious Things Plain. And then there are three volumes in each of those areas that are under that title. So there's that, and then what I've done most recently is publish these littler books on Apocalypse, Zion, and also on Isaiah. This podcast has been produced by Latter Day Radio. Visit latterdayradio.com for more information.